You know what? I'm always starting the show. Whenever there's no bit in the cold open, I'm always the one to go first. You go first. I don't know if What's that's inherently true. Well, there's I'm still sh- candy corn on the table. Happy Halloween, everyone. It's not Halloween anymore. I know, but we, uh, I don't, did we say happy Halloween in the last few episodes? Cause we did our, yeah, we our did our movie Halloween episode, episode last week. So. And now we're back to relying K songs. We're doing one of the biggest songs of their entire discography. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, how are you doing, Jess? What's going on? Oh, oh, uh, you know, I don't like being put on the spot. I'm not, I'm not good. And yet I love putting you on the spot. I know, it's awful. I took improv classes in high school. I hated (laughs) it. I hated every second of it. I have never heard this story. Let's hear the story about Jessica's improv. I I don't think I acting classes and it was one of the required classes that I had to take in acting classes. I knew you did acting classes, but I don't think I ever heard about you doing improv. What kind of things did you learn in improv? Clearly not enough. <laughs> I hated it. They put you on the spot and make you do stuff. Well, yeah, that's what it's called. Not improvise. Use it. Reach back into little little teen Jessica and remember what it was like to improv. I'll yes and whatever you say. Go right ahead. What did you learn? Well, what other things did you learn in acting school? This is something we've never shared. With the podcast audience, tell talk about your acting experience. I don't, I don't know. I was in uh, Barney in the Land of Make Believe <laughs> as a Moroccan street dancer <laughs> around that time. They were shooting in Orlando, and uh, yeah, I really just did it to to get on a set. I think that's still probably the biggest production I've been <laughs> on. Sadly, wow, I peaked at like sixteen. Uh, that's depressing. Let's let's just get on with the show already. At the end of the day, 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 at the on how you were a Moroccan street dancer at 16 in a Barney movie. I might have been 17. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. Still, it sounds more... It sounds cooler than extra, which is what I was. My mom is featured. There's like a a crossfade and she's like in the crossfade. You really can't see me, but it was great. It was good times. It was good times. The director talked to me. He took me around and stuff because I was really close, standing really close to Video Village. And so he was like, oh, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm just wanting to be on set because I want to be a filmmaker when I grow up and stuff. And he was like, oh, and then he just like took me around. And he was like, in order to be a good director, you got to know a lot about a little and a little about a lot. And those are words to live by in any scenario. And so, uh, That's yeah. True. And uh, did you get to meet Maybe Barney? Maybe not any scenario. Were but... you like, can I meet Barney? And then they introduce you to the guy playing Barney. And you're like, no, I want to meet Barney. <laughs> and they were <laughs> like, oh, she, we thought she was <laughs> older got... than this. <laughs> no, I he got into, you know, like a nicer uh, trailer or whatever. We just uh, the <laughs> Well, it needs to be around. huge. He's yeah, a dinosaur. Yeah, exactly. Funny, though, that... There was there was like a royalty subplot in that, and I've still never seen it. We have it on DVD. We should watch it for a Patreon episode. (laughs) Hey, we did Salty the Singing Songbook for Halloween. We did. 
We didn't mention that on a regular episode, but for on Patreon.com for Halloween, we watched a salty and the sing salty is the singing <laughs> salty the singing songbook <laughs> salty and salvation the song celebration. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we watched a video watch along of that. Oh, anyway, so there's this like there's royalty in the land of make believe. I don't even completely remember. I only watched it like once afterwards. Anyway, and the Ooh, woman who played- I don't watch everything. <laughs> the woman who played the queen, I ended up working with years later here in LA, which right. is just really funny and and random. You're like right because you know that story. Know Nobody that. listening knows that story though. <laughs> So I, I kind of, I, I didn't, we didn't properly get into what you say when we come back from the yes, song, which here we is. Go. You, you, you cut me off as I was about to do it. Uh, <laughs> hello, everyone, and welcome to Sadie Hawkins Pod. Hello, and we're back talking about Relying K once again, despite everything you've just heard leading up to this moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I hope some people enjoyed last week when we talked about Dark Dungeons. That was fun. I know only a very select group of you enjoyed the social media posts about Dark Dungeons. <laughs> judging <laughs> off of the <laughs> likes. <laughs> but we do what we want. This is our show. Reliant K does what they want, and we're inspired by them to do what we want. I really think of Reliant K as just a launching pad for our intricity. In- <laughs> in- in- <laughs> I don't even know the word I'm trying to say. For our sillinesses. So... Yeah, but speaking of stillinesses, now we're back and we're talking about definitely, you know, we caught you with all the Dark Dungeons discussion last week, and now we're going to ride this train out by talking about like a really obscure song. It's the second version of the hidden track from Anatomy, and it's called The Ballad of Tim Eddings. We do have some top of the show business first, and we'll get into talking about this hidden track in just a minute, but we have some follow-up. We had an email from the director of Dark Dungeons. That's so funny. It was so cool. <laughs> and I have to say, Relying K looking real bad here. When we talk about Dark Dungeons and the director of Dark Dungeons contacts us in less than 24 hours from the dropping of the episode. <laughs> and it's taken, it took almost three years for the official Relying K accounts to follow us. <laughs> We're still very grateful, though. It, I'm super grateful. I'm super grateful for all any attention and any uh, John retweets. John Schneck reached out, like, right away. So so you can't put this on all the No, no, no. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I am not looking a gift horse in the mouth to that. I say nay. But I'm just saying. It the director like of Dark. Dun- I'm just saying the dark director of Dark Dungeons making Reliant K look bad. And sure, Relying K just followed us on Twitter in this. This is the, how you thank the them. twilight of Twitter. <laughs> this the twilight period of Twitter existing. We'll see how all that goes. Are you sure it isn't more like a new moon, or perhaps an eclipse? Right. I was like, I know I said twilight, but I'm still like, how do I now tie Elon Musk into the Twilight series? I have no idea. I can't. The Volturi. Oh, he's the Volturi. There you go. He's the really obnoxious Volturi that none of the Volturi want to deal with. But he's like the richest one. He bankrolls them. He bankrolls the rest of them. The Volturi are just like real serious. And they're like, yeah, we just ordered a big group of humans to eat and kill. And then 
<laughs> Elon Musk of the Volturi is like, I'm going to let that sink in. And he comes in with the sink. He's like, ha ha ha. And the Volturi are like, oh, man. <laughs> he bankrolls us. There's nothing we can do about this. <laughs> so anyway, L. Gabriel Gonda uh, emailed us and said, oh, this is the second reply. Okay, here we go. Hi, I'm the director of Dark Dungeons. J.R. Rawls sent me the link to your show in our producer's text group. Loved the episode. You are both very astute about our intent for the film. And sounds like you're filmmakers yourself. Yourselves. I just want to say that all your suppositions and guesses about the production of the film were eerily spot on. So good job. Just one correction. In the church we shot in, which is towards the end of Dark Dungeons, and the producer who told us to monitor our language about that that was actually pastor chris ode our theological consultant and that was his church he later officiated the wedding in which i married the woman whose dancing butt you called out in the party scene anyway great (laughs) podcast i always love the ones that are three times longer than the film hey that's what we do we take Mm -hmm. a really really short relying k song like say one that's only 10 seconds long and we talk about it for two and a half hours pretty much now we're going to take a one-minute song, and I'm sure talk about it for three hours. But yeah, we took a 45-minute movie and talked about it for an hour and a half. But that was great that he uh, emailed us. That was so us. cool. Yeah. yeah, that was really nice. So I wrote him back, and then he wrote me back. And, and those are my secrets that I will keep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what else? So we have do have voicemails, so let's play these. Here we go. This is Sean calling. Hey, Danny and Jess. Uh, this is Sean from Allentown. Going back a couple episodes to the From an End to End episode, and uh, I thought it was so funny that you came right out the gate saying it was like the least memorable, the least remarkable song on to less because um, I apparently felt the exact same way even back in like the 2000s because back in the day whenever we used to rip CDs onto iTunes, so that then we could listen to our computers and put it onto iPods or MP3 players. I either uh, kept it, like did not transfer it from iTunes into the player, or I completely left it out of the rip entirely. Like I unchecked the box for from end to end whenever I ripped the CD onto iTunes. So I went years and years with like going through shuffle and listening to the albums and everything like that of not listening to from end to end, because I guess I just thought it was so mid that I just didn't want to listen to it. And when I started getting the vinyls um, a few years ago and I put on two left and it got to that song, I mean, I had like some immediate deja vu, but then at the same time, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't remember this song at all. I actually had, a rare situation where I could hear a song for the first time again, like a second time. Um, now, it still hasn't necessarily changed my opinion on the song being, you know, the least remarkable onto less, but it was still just kind of this weird thing that I avoided it for so long. And I, it was like brand new again whenever I listened to it a few years ago. So, yeah, just thought that was a funny story kind of confirming your stance on the song that I thought I'd share. So yeah. Um, but yeah, keep, keep it up. I'm keep, I'm still listening. So keep up the good work. Uh, good episode on dark dungeons too. That was really fun. 
And uh, yeah, bye. So that's, yeah, that's funny. I don't know. That's if, so funny. Yeah. It is just like the most forgettable song on <laughs> Two Left. Clearly. It's the most mid, as the kids as the kids say. Oh, boy. So <laughs> uh, did you ever have anything like that where you removed songs from an album when you digitized it on sure. purpose? Maybe to save space yeah. on something? No, not to save space. Just because I'm like, no, I only listened to these three songs off this album. Why bother putting the whole thing on? to these three songs. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I mean, I have... We've had this discussion. You and I listen to music differently, Dan. Right. I When I first got Spotify almost 10 years ago now, one of the first things I did was to create a, a playlist of not like my favorite songs by every one of my favorite artists, but just like go through their entire discography and only add the songs that I liked, like skip songs that I definitely didn't like. But I can't think of any time where I purposefully cut out songs you know digitizing them i did i did so many different ways of listening to music like any way of using technology like before i had an ipod did you ever have an mp3 cd player did you ever take advantage of that that was that mean that was where you would have a cd player and you could burn mp3 files to it as a data cd not as a music CD, because you know every CD can be burnt no. as a music CD right. or a data CD. Right. Well, if you burnt a bunch of MP3s onto a CD, which you could do dozen, you know, dozens more songs on a data CD than you could do 74 minutes total mm-hmm. of music on a music CD. And then some CD players would identify the MP3s on the disc and play those back. So I could put like four albums you know, of of a decent enough bit rate. I could put four albums on one CD and I would do that kind of thing sometimes. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, that, that was a short-lived phenomenon because you'd never even heard of it. No. Uh, if you hear that, the slight rat-a-tat-tatting in the background, <laughs> that is because it's a rainy evening here. So that is rain on the a window. A rare rainy evening. This right. is... Whoa! Danny! <laughs> we are professionals! <laughs> What are you doing? Well, here's a voicemail. Let's pretend I didn't have the sound on there. My phone's on silent now. Let's pretend that didn't happen and listen to this other voicemail that we have from David Park. I swear the only time your phone is not on silent is when we're recording. (laughs) Well, my phone has been on silent for years and years. Only recently, like pretty much since the pandemic was i was like oh i I can like actually leave my phone off of silent there was this thing for like most of my life where i was like i'll just leave my phone on silent all the time i just leave it on silent because like if i'm at work if i was working at a store like a target or something i wouldn't want it going off in my pocket but i'd want it in my pocket or i go to class or i go to the movies i'm like it's just easier to just leave it on silent all the time and i'll feel it buzzing but then it annoyed Jessica for years and years, and it's just a habit for me yeah, to always leave my phone on silent. And then because of the pandemic is when I broke that lifelong habit. Because I was like, oh, we're just home all day. Plus work will text me. It's better to have my phone off of silent. So I now have my phone off of silent all the time. So here's that voicemail. Danny and Jeff, it's David from Jimmy Eat Club. They came together is an incredible David Wayne film that everyone needs to see. And I'm so disappointed that it was rated so lowly. Oh, and Danny and Jeff, 
mistakes. I'm not sure. Is that a reference to the movie? It's and been Danny, a minute since I've seen it now. I'm like, Danny I need Jess, to watch. Thanks. I need to rewatch. Is he it. just thanking us, or I guess that must be a reference to the movie that I don't remember. We've seen it since it came out. Like, well, obviously, we've seen it since it came out. <laughs> I mean, we've seen it since the year it came out. Like, we've seen it. When did it come out? Like 2016, 17? Somewhere in there. We saw it in like 27, 2018, 2019. So it's not that long ago. But I don't remember that particular quote. Or just nice to be thanked. It's just nice to be thanked. All of you out there can call up and just thank us. <laughs> everyone just start calling <laughs> I feel like up. We should call them and thank them. <laughs> well, I want everyone to know that I'm very thankful when you listen to us. Whenever I don't really have to say this because we kind of say it in our in our pre-recorded <laughs> break thing. Our pre-recorded little commercial, but I'll say it again live on mic. I appreciate everyone who listens to the show. <laughs> that wasn't Bo talking. That's just me. I appreciate everyone. Oh no! no. I appreciate everyone who calls up. I appreciate everyone who listens. That's you my make impression. Your money of back today. after going on tour with Fangs, <laughs> spending all your money on food. <laughs> yeah. I know his backstory. I make it up. I mean, I know his backstory. I, I talk to asking, him all the time. I was asking a question. I don't know what's going on with Bo right oh, now. Oh, I thought no, he was here. He's not here. I was just oh, doing an I impression see. of him. I definitely don't have the mental capacity for Bo to be here right now or most any, <laughs> yeah. most any oh, of our usual oh, guest you stars. Don't right now. I never have the mental capacity for <laughs> Bo to be here, and yet he'll show up randomly. <laughs> Even when we're not on mic, I have to deal with him sometimes. So, The Ballad of Tim Eddings. Jessica, what's your relationship with this song? <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely one of those where it's like, oh, you know, skip forward to the very end to listen to it, you know, when I'm listening to it on streaming or whatever. Only every once in a while. Right. Or click to the next song. Um, well, there's no next song unless it's in a place. You know what I mean. Click away to the next album. Yes. I know what you mean. So, yeah, this is so just to set this up, The Ballad of Tim Eddings is the hidden track on the gold edition of Anatomy of the Tongue in Cheek. Originally, the hidden track on this album was Skittles and Combos, which we've already discussed in an episode where we talked about Skittles and combos. I'm curious. And then we're like, hey, we're like, we, we don't want people to keep bringing those. Right. Those. So we have, to, <laughs> so that's one thing we have to talk about for sure. Skittles and combos was episode 51. Oh, wow. And this is like episode 50, 156 or 157 or something. So this album originally comes out in 2001. And it has, oh my Daniel gosh. Daniel Leary. <laughs> I hope this isn't anyone's first episode. Lord knows why it would be, except maybe Tim Eddings. (laughs) (laughs) Which we'll talk about who that is. But I turned off the Bluetooth. I muted my phone. You said you did before. I don't believe you this time. Well, I really did this time. Skittles and Combos is the original hidden track that comes on after... Less is More. Less is More. And then when they released the Gold Edition in 2006, so years later... They replace Skittles and Combos. And we know that, like, by 2000... So, there's a lot of things to talk about and wonder about here. The Gold Edition is released in 2006. So, yeah, after five years of fans listening to this to Skittles and Combos and bringing Skittles and Combos to every show, where they, like, we can't take the Skittles and Combos anymore. This is a chance to, like, curb some of that. Like, yeah, 
the CDs, the main CDs, the main non-gold CDs are going to be out there forever. So uh, people are always going to be bringing skills and combos to us. And we know that they continued to because we asked John Schneck when he was on our podcast, did you get a lot of skills and combos? And he said, yes, we just we kept getting them all the way into the time I was in the band. And then when they stopped showing up, we started to miss them. (laughs) That's funny. I feel like they probably just wanted to switch it up for the gold version. They probably just wanted to be like, all right, it's not just the difference in the mix. We're giving you a slightly different hidden song. Maybe it was just a little change up. You know, they didn't change up the <laughs> the Silly Shoes rap, which we still haven't done either. But the Silly Shoes rap on Two Lefts is like a flat out like embarrassing hidden <laughs> track. It's goofy and it's fun. But maybe I feel like if you're going to... Maybe they were just super proud of it. I don't know. We'll talk about that when we get to that episode. Which we I guess we'll just do soon because John Rubin who I wanted to have on that episode. He hasn't been getting back to us. So we'll, well just... what is he so busy dippity doing? We say that every time we talk about this. So we're going to do Silly Shoes in like two weeks. I'm just calling it. We're going to do... This is going to be Hidden Track Month, although next week is not a Hidden Track. So they replace this... So they replace Skittles and Combos five years later with this track, which is the ballad of Tim Eddings. And because the gold versions of Anatomy and Two Lefts are the versions that exist on streaming today... This is the version that exists on streaming today. Skittles and Combos is not on the Less is More hidden track. Which, now I have to take another quick sidestep. I think we mentioned this when I was on, when we were on Church Jams now. But it is ridiculous. I just gotta always mention this whenever it comes up. If you are a band who had CDs in the time of CDs, and you did a hidden track, because that's what you do. You have a hidden track. You have your last song ends, and then there's like three minutes of silence, and then suddenly an extra song pops up. If today, in the streaming era, era, your last track on your album still emulates the CD hidden track thing, you're embarrassing yourself. (laughs) Take this from someone who embarrasses himself all the time. You have to... This is the second time you have called out Reliant K in this episode. It is? What did I say before? I forgot already. (laughs) (laughs) When you were giving them a hard time for only just following us. Oh, yeah. But I'm not just giving Reliant K... They don't need to follow us. We follow them. That's that's the thing. If if they follow us, that's amazing. (laughs) And we should be grateful. I don't feel like Reliant K probably... I don't feel like Reliant K personally probably handles, like the uploading of their files to streaming not you know not most artists don't but if you have it in your ability to talk to the publishing company or the company that puts the streaming the record label whatever you gotta go in and you gotta cut the hidden either cut the hidden track out of streaming completely and make it just something special for the people who own cds or you gotta cut that hidden track into its own track at the end of the album because then it makes the last track on these albums that used to be CDs, it makes them impossible to put on a playlist. Like, the worst one is Every New Day by Five Iron Frenzy. Well, the worst one in, like, kind of our circle of music. I'm sure there's worse situations. But it's like, you can't put Every New Day by Five Iron Frenzy on a playlist because then there's, like, five minutes of silence at the end and then this ridiculous, like, in-studio messing around song. These bands have to go in, and these record labels and these record and these music publishers... You can't emulate the CD technology in that way with the hidden track. It's a waste of everybody's time. I'm sure they just upload it straight from the know. CD originally. Yeah. That is yeah. exactly what they did. That was like there were original so they just masters need to for put the CDs. The extra little Someone little needs to go in and take the take right. the time to cut 
these out. And some bands have done this. Some bands have gone and they've done this. And I always think it's great when the band has done that. I don't think that Nevermind by Nirvana, that's the first, that's credited as the first hidden track ever created. Like I believe, at least I've heard this before, that on Nevermind, after Something in the Way, that was the first hidden track with the song called Endless Nameless, where it's just kind of like a jam session by Nirvana at the end of the CD. And supposedly Nirvana invented the hidden track with that album. I actually have never looked up in the last 20 years if there's conflicting evidence to it being Nirvana, but that's what I heard years and years ago that it was Nirvana who did it first. But I think if you go to Nevermind on Spotify, especially now that something in the way is a huge song because of the Batman movie. Like, I don't think that I, I think they've cut out the hidden track space on Nevermind. Like they know to do that. Like Nirvana's people are smart enough <laughs> to go in and cut that stuff out. That's just my little ramble about hidden tracks. Everyone's got to go do that. If you're a musician, don't emulate CD. It's meaningless. I've seen, last thing, I've seen like Gen Z people online be like, why does this song end with five minutes of silence and then another song at the end? And the millennials laugh and laugh. Oh, foolish Gen Zer, don't you know that's a hidden track? And I'm like, no, the Gen Zer is correct. This is useless in the era of streaming. Plus, it's probably only hurting the streams you would get and the money you would get by people right. ducking out of the track early. Right. So <laughs> since this is still a hidden track, if you want to listen to it, you need to skip to five minutes and 53 seconds nice. into Less Is More. Uh, or go to on, YouTube. <laughs> or go to YouTube. And or and just so you know, it runs for a minute and nine seconds. Right. And it is like a round. It's yeah. sort of the style of a round it's or round. like a she like a sea shanty. Like sea shanties <laughs> were big on TikTok recently, like in the last year or two. So maybe why was uh, the Ballad of Tim Eddings? Was that a popular sea shanty? Probably not, because I doubt that the Ballad of Tim Eddings is its own track on TikTok. If it's not its own track on Spotify, uh, yeah. <laughs> I threw you for a loop. I, I can see the confusion. So, it doesn't on sound Spray. anything like a sea shanty. It just sounds like some dudes messing around and right. strumming on a banjo. Maybe I couldn't quite tell what the instrument was. It just this sounds like cute. a folksy. Round. It's funny. Yeah, it's you know, it's a song that's meant to be circuitous. Like you sent, you repeat it over and over and over. And then what's the 99 bottles of beer on the wall? Isn't that one? That's a famous round. Yes. You take one down, you pass it around. More catchier than the Ballad of Tim Eddings. Yeah. yeah. And then someone else starts the song. Like, let's do a round, just in case no one's ever heard a round. <laughs> 99 bottles of beer on the wall. 99 <laughs> bottles of beer. You take one down, pass it around. That's... 99 bottles of beer on the wall. 90... You know, you're not sing in. over each other on 99 bottles of beer on the wall, though, which you do in a round. Oh, the wheels on the bus. Isn't that a round? The wheels on the bus go. No. <laughs> okay, what are some famous rounds? I just sang an entire verse of 99 bottles of beer on the wall and you didn't cut me off. <laughs> no, I was confused because I was like, I don't think you do that in a round per se. Oh, Daniel, you can see my socks is going to call up and correct us, but. Or some other. Oh, row, row, row your boat. Teacher who That's it. That's the most famous one. Row, row, row your boat. <laughs> Gently down the stream you go. You go. Row, merrily, merrily, row, merrily, row merrily. Life is but a dream. Yes, this row, is row. just about as fun to listen to as the Ballad of Tim Eddings. <laughs> I wonder uh, if there's any podcast out there where they just sing rounds. <laughs> they just probably. sing round songs. 
So the Ballad of Tim Eddings is, it's kind of a nonsense song. It kind of brings to mind like some Beach Boysy stuff, like especially since we just talked about Sloop John B and the Beach Boys would kind of do folky, have folk elements, folk music elements in their later music, like their pet sounds and later sort of periods. Like this sounds like some sort of joke, fun song that would be on Smiley Smile or some later period Beach Boys, does it not? I will take your word for it. When you originally said that to me uh, before we started recording this episode, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've listened to plenty of Beach Boys, but I don't know the names of any of the songs, so I don't know. I can't can't corroborate this. You you mentioned that before I I had listened to the song, so I was just like, oh, you're like, oh, it's like a Beach Boys thing. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I listened to it, and I was like, well, not really, but I I mean, maybe. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm not super well-versed in the Beach Boys. Maybe they did, in fact, do something like this. It reminds me of that one song, Everybody Had an Ocean. (laughs) Exactly. Like, (laughs) I'm like, you know. (laughs) I guess I just don't have much to say about the song. Yeah, there's like, it's about the song itself, but I do have plenty to talk about what the song alludes to. But uh, I don't know. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, that's what the song goes. And then it's funny that on Genius, there's no listing of the lyrics, although there clearly are lyrics in the song. And yet there is a main annotation for what the song is about. There are lyrics. Oh, they at are. At least at the, G- uh, the version of Genius that I get when uh, my this Google pops up. This happens to us all the time. Yep, like every week. Where we, like, I don't know if Genius looks different depending on your IP address, but we have had situations and you, you'd think it'd be like, oh, this song is on, on Genius twice because it's on a couple albums. But no, The Ballad of Tim Eddings is only on one album and... For some reason, sometimes Genius looks different depending on what screen and phone we're looking at it on. I looked it on the desktop. I looked at it. I looked at Genius for Ballad of Tim Eddings on my desktop computer at work, and there were no lyrics. So, Jessica, please tell us the lyrics to this song. At the end of the day, hey, man, we're kind of busy. And then this is in brackets, writing question mark here. (laughs) Cross your fingers and say your prayers. So I guess no one actually knows officially the lyrics. I like that they that the genius annotation actually says question mark. We're kind of busy writing. I did see like a, a I did see some YouTube comments on one of the fan uploads of this song where people were debating what is what are the lyrics that are being said behind the round that's singing at the end of the day. They had people have had a hard time sussing out exactly what they're saying, but most people seem to think it's we're busy writing but it's i guess it's hard to tell what they're actually saying with that word that most people think is the word writing so it's funny that here on genius they actually put a question mark (laughs) as opposed to like air for free where nobody actually knows all the lyrics but nobody has a question mark on the debatable lyrics of air for free uh and then the annotation is this song is a hidden track on the remix gold edition of the anatomy of the tongue in cheek appearing at the end of less is more after a few minutes of silence and replacing skittles and combos from the original pressing. Tim Eddings was Reliant K's manager at the time of this album's release. The song form is similar to, but not exactly around each line being sung repeatedly at once it is introduced, even as new lines are introduced until all four lines are being sung concurrently. So, yeah, Tim Eddings is their manager from early in the band up until some point. And I found an article that used to be on the trademark.net website, which is down. It's gone. 
but I pulled out of, uh, not out of the internet archive, but actually out of Bing website cache. <laughs> like, where Bing, because Bing and Google have to kind of back up some pages to, I guess, I don't know how search engines work, but Bing and Google will sometimes have a website cached. And, you know, C-A-C-H-E cached. And uh, sometimes you can pull that out of a search result. So I actually found an article which is not dated, but it's a press release from when Reliant K signed with Alabaster Arts. Now, I don't know what date that happened, but that's when they left their manager, Tim Eddings. Then in the press release, they're like, we just want to say we love Tim and we have had a great time working with him. We were just moving on to Alabaster Arts and it seems like it was an amicable split when they left their manager, Tim Eddings, to join with Alabaster Arts. But I wish I had a date of exactly when they weren't with Tim Eddings anymore because this hidden track comes out on the gold edition of Anatomy, which is from 2006. Because the entire idea of remixing the second and third album was to supposedly get their production in line with mm hmm. Like, I guess for whatever reason, you know, Anatomy and Two Laughs go gold, and mm hmm becomes their biggest album ever. And then for whatever reason, they look at the second and third album and they say, well, this, the, you know, these two albums don't actually sound very much like mm-hmm. So we're going to go back in and mix them with what we learned in the mix of mm-hmm. And people don't agree with that idea. Why did they have to do that? The first time I ever even realized about these gold mixes, I think it was Daniel, you can see my socks, years ago when we first started the podcast, who was like the real dissenting voice about, have you heard about the gold mixes? These are completely unnecessary. And that's how we, you know, made sure we were always talking about the gold versions versus the original mixes on the second and third album. But now I'm curious, like, they had a manager. His name was Tim. They write this song in tribute to him. And it ends up on a special edition of their 2001 album. And this special edition is released in 2005. So I don't know when they joined Alabaster Arts, but I would assume it was before 2005, like before they were signed, before they got moved up from Goatee, because they right. weren't signed to Capital, they were moved up from right. Goatee to Capital. So I would assume that, you know, in Alabaster Arts, in this press release I found on Trademark, said that they also had the OC Supertones and Kathy and Katie Hudson. <laughs> Oh, wow. So it was so Alabaster Arts, who I've heard of. I remember hearing that name back when I was, you know, a, a first generation, second generation Reliant K fan. I guess they're a Christian management company. So I would assume maybe were they even still with Alabaster Arts by the time of Mm hmm and Five Score? I would be guessing that they weren't. I don't even know the history of Alabaster Arts. This is very difficult information to find online and this is part of the reason why i had that whole diatribe about how reliant k really needs to like get their history recorded and them them at least themselves in control of some of their history like put out a pod put out a new original reliant k podcast or put out the book or have some history posts on youtube or something discussing these you know very esoteric forgotten moments in Reliant K history. All right, so, so asking about Tim Eddings and Alabaster <laughs> Arts. 
make notes. <laughs> write that down. Write that down for when of the things we need to ask Reliant K about. Exactly. Listen to that rain over there. I know, right? Is that coming in really? Is that coming in on the mic a lot? I can't tell if it oh. is or if it's because I'm right next to the window, <laughs> right. so it's just louder to me. Uh, I will take some room tone at the end and try and cut it down in post, uh, but we'll see how that goes. So my question is, when did they write this song? Did they write and record this song, possibly during the sessions of Anatomy, but it didn't make it onto the album there, and they chose to go with Skittles and Combos? Or did they write and record this song? I guess we could have like t- tried to DM Schneck or uh, John Warren and ask them, were you involved in this extra track in any way? Because it was released in 2005, but it comes from the 2001 album. But it references their manager. <laughs> was Tim Edding still uh, the manager of the band when you were just joining John and John? So mysterious. Why are these little things so mysterious? And yet, like I said, a band like Blink-182, like, you know what they had for lunch the day they met each other. Like, come on. Like, why is a band like Reliant K, we want to know all oh these little things. I'm, I'm smashing things. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so mad oh, about all these God. little moments of Reliant K's history being lost. So we had to reset the mic a, like a couple weeks ago. And you probably noticed because every now and then it goes. <laughs> because it, for some reason, the uh, arm that it hangs off of is noisy. There's still Halloween candy on the table. That's what that crinkling was. So some candy ASMR in here. So even though I couldn't figure out an exact timeline for how long was Tim their manager, when did they move to Alabaster Arts and all of that, I do know that Tim continues to this day to work in the Ohio area as a music promoter. Because, believe it or not, there are no covers... Of the Ballad of Tim Eddings, what? but I did find one YouTube video. JC Keith, get on that. <laughs> yeah. I did find one YouTube video with the actual Tim Eddings. Eddings? It's Eddings. Eddings. I, I I know it's Eddings. I've been saying Eddings this whole time, for but one for one split second, I was like, his name's Eddings. And I was like, no, that doesn't feel right. So I did find this one YouTube video that we'll discuss after the break with the real Tim Eddings. Eddings in it and oh, very cool. I know you found all his social media and yeah, he, I won't dox him or anything no but we, we did come across that but I and I also found out and I don't think this is doxing because this is his career this is public knowledge he now works for a company called celebrity etc celebrity etc cool. um he's and he's like a music promoter in the in the Ohio area for helping bands and I guess his focus is more live music so i'm also curious about that it seems like the you know tim ebbing tim eddings career is more about live music and booking nowadays i wonder if that was his background even when he was relying case manager and i wonder if he was just like the person that made the most sense in their life to be their manager and why when they were ready to level up and move to Alabaster Arts, it was like, well, this makes sense because you helped us get us to this point and now right. we need to move up. Makes sense. And he was more focused on live and booking them. You know, when you open like a Reliant K CD and a lot of bands that are sort of like s- smaller, you know, I'm talking about Reliant K at the time on the first three albums, mm-hmm. kind of bands that are smaller and you open it and it's like for booking, call this number or for booking, email here. 
I never did this, but I wonder how many like kids would call, not just for Reliant K, but any band of Reliant K's sort of like middle to smaller stature, like would like take the phone numbers in their CD booklets and call up the managers and be like, is Reliant K there? (laughs) One time, I think in like 2005, I was walking around the mall with uh, a friend of ours from college and we walked into a Hot Topic, and this is when Hot Topic still had a small CD music section. And there was a listen- listening station with a rancid CD in it. 2005, I guess it would have been uh, the red one. What's that one called? Indestructible. Well, Indestructible was out for a couple years. What was the 2005 album? Hold on. Let's look here. Uh, no, they didn't have an album in 2005. Okay, whatever. Maybe it was a different Hellcat record. Maybe it was just a re- maybe just a CD from Hellcat Records. And like in the listening station for this Rancid or Hellcat Records release, it just said for press inquiries and for booking for Hellcat Records, call this number. And our and my friend from college, he's like, "Can I borrow your phone?" And he took my phone in the middle of the hot topic in Orlando, Florida. Oh my god! And he called Hellcat Records as a joke. Just called them from the phone number that was listed in the middle of the hot topic in Orlando. And someone picked up, and he's like, and "They're like, hello, Hellcat Records." And he's like, "Hi, is Tim there?" <laughs> Tim Armstrong from Rancid. And they're like, "Tim who?" And they're like, "Tim Armstrong." <laughs> And the person at Hellcat Records is like, no, Tim doesn't have an office here. Like, they're probably like, oh, this is just some idiot, it's some fan, some stupid fan. And they're like, okay, thank you, and hung up. And they did this just to, like, be funny in that moment. And this is 2005, so I wasn't afraid of, like, my cell phone getting in trouble for pranking Hellcat Records. <laughs> but I just have to imagine... Like, you know, I was older by the time I got into Reliant K. If you were a younger fan and you open up the CD booklet and it's like, for booking, call Tim, call Tim Ebbings. Eddings, call Tim Eddings at this number. How many, like, random phone calls did they get? I'm sure a bunch. The fact, so this is, like, not a song about Tim Eddings, but it's in tribute to him. And I'm sure, like, the references that they're making are somehow meaningful to their relationship with Tim Eddings at that time and the only other song i could think of where it's a band paying tribute to their manager was the ramones danny says which just says danny says we gotta go gotta go to idaho oh it's idaho not ohio never mind idaho canton canton idaho oh my gosh the rain's just making me crazy today we're we're not on our a-game tonight I didn't expect to have to be on our A-game for the second hidden track. I mean, I'm sorry to Tim Eddings. Danny, we should be on our tra- on our track. Darn it, we should be on our A-game every podcast. This, should, this could be a very important networking opportunity. Hey, the director of Dark Dungeons emailed us in 24 hours. Tim Eddings could email us in 24 hours to say, listen to your podcast. You did a terrible job. You are all not yeah. on your A game. Yeah, exactly. I'm not booking you to do a live podcast like here in Ohio. Like when you go to the coffee shop and it's like the B team is on or maybe not even the B team, like the D team is on and you're like, oh man, it's They're gonna not going to do my drink correctly. They're not going to do my drink correctly and it's going to take forever. You're getting the Sadie Hawkins pod D team tonight. <laughs> We apologize. And you know, sometimes when we have weird energy on mic, you'll comment and you'll be like, this energy's weird and we're not doing a very good job. But then when I listen in the edit, 
I'm like, no, we were doing fine, and it didn't matter. I definitely feel like I'm off tonight, but I'm telling you, it's that Los Angeles rain. It seeps into your pores. It, like, waterlogs your mind, and it just... People are out there driving like crazy. They don't know how to drive on the roads. Which I don't understand. Most people who live here are from other places, David Park excluded. (laughs) Most people who live here are from other places. You're from places where it rains. I learned how to drive in the rain. I am from Florida. I can get in the car just fine, except I have to worry about everyone else on the road who doesn't know how to drive in the rain. (laughs) I'm more powerful when I drive in the rain. (laughs) Exactly. Well, why don't we clear our heads? All right. Take our break. Good idea. And when we come back, we'll have a little bit more information about the song that we could, about the person the song's about that we could figure out, and a couple of clips, but no covers. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for listening to Sadie Hawkins Pod. If you want to join the conversation, please contact us with thoughts on this episode, your corrections, and your Reliant K memories at our voicemail line, 402-95-SADIE, or send an email to sadiehawkinspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our socials. Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok are all at Sadie Hawkins Pod, where you can see the visuals we discuss on the podcast each week. You can also visit sadiehawkinspod.com for easy access to all these links, as well as our merch store for shirts, mugs, and stickers. And on Facebook, search for Sadie Hawkins Group to discuss our show and Reliant K. It's admin by Danny, so honestly, you can probably post almost anything there. We also want to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash sadiehawkinspod, who include Samantha, Matthew, Bjorn, Emily, Isaac, Kindle, Joshua, Daniel, Jay, Joel, Connor, Michael, Samantha, Jimmy Eat Pod, This Might Be a Podcast, Tucker, and Brady. Join our Patreon now for two monthly bonus episodes. Unlock dozens of existing bonus apps, including Chaos for Karaoke songs, every chapter of the complex infrastructure known as the Female Mind Book, stickers, guitar picks, and a special Patreon-exclusive shirt when you have donated a lifetime contribution of $60. Whether you join the Patreon or not, we appreciate that you have a lot of choices for podcasts out there in the world, so it's nice that you chose us. Thanks. So for Deep Dive, uh, we went over the genius, and then I have a blog about a band, a different band. Oh, okay. With Tim Eddings as a promoter. Oh, okay. Uh, This is from Tuned Up. Hey, Mona Monia, the fifty. I'm I'm showing it to Danny. Hey Moina or M O N E A dash the fifty. Is that two bands or is it Hey Moina the fifty? Uh, uh, maybe we'll, the article out. will tell us. Words by Ryan Getz. Hey, Mania, bring to the table a sound that is strangely familiar. I've seen the name pop up in Ohio. Hey there, Delilah, something, something. In the Ohio promotion circuit a number of times over the past few years. They hail from the birthplace of Celebrity Etc., one of the Central Ohio promotion groups that has hosted some of our favorite shows. Was there a date on this article? 
Uh, not yet. I will let you know when okay. I get to the bottom. <laughs> Promoter Tim Eddings managed Reliant K during their anatomy of the tongue-in-cheek era and has had influence oh, okay. over a number of bands from Northeast Ohio. I have to believe that this man is the reason Hey Monea, who hails from the same area, has gained footing in Cleveland and Columbus. Later on, my friends in The Last of the Wild Men, one of the first bands tuned up ever covered, sent their endorsement of the band my way. I'm a little embarrassed. It took me so long to finally check them out. But our pals at Catalyst PR pushed this writer to do so. Now you might be thinking, what music is in sort of familiar (laughs) sounding anymore? And you raise a good point. Genres aren't at a point where there has been enough crossover that anybody, (laughs) literally, that any band is probably doing something that that's been done before. Even so, it's all been done before. Hey, Mona, bring a homey sense of familiarity. (laughs) Yeah, homey table. I'm simultaneously reminded of garage rock blues rock and the pop rock stylings of andrew mcmahon that i finally experienced live this past summer i love you so much better they croon in pennies before moving on to lyrics of sunny weather this lyric oddly fits the vibe of the band perfectly warm happy go lucky melodies mildly disguising pensive sometimes what could have been wistful lyrics i could never be the one that you deserve, but I try sometimes, is later sung in the title track. There's that lament meets perse- Perseverance vibe again. I figure as much. The wail of the guitar. This is the nicest uh, health insurance music I've ever heard. Appropriately follows the bridge of the final song. Also, this is an example of a band utilizing some na-na-na harmonies that don't feel contrived. These are some na-na-na harmonies that don't have me saying na-na-na. They can be goofy while maintaining the happy, pensive mood in the album opener, Filthy Rich. Sorry, the 50 is the name of the album. Did you say that? Uh, Not yet. The 50 is the name of the album. I'm seeing it right here. Very good. Oh, it's about the 50 stars. If you don't love them, leave them. Because they're the image. I don't know. It doesn't say if you don't love them, leave them. But it's referring to the American flag. Uh, Singing of the stereotypical wishes of a rock star. Hey, Mona, Mona, Monea, Monia have crafted a fun album that accomplishes exactly what it sets out to do and nothing more. I'm definitely tempted to check out their live show next chance I get. Score 3.5 out of 5. And let's see... Uh, I don't have a date on this article. Well, the album The 50 is from 2015. So it seems like they're a pretty recent band. Their first album, wait, yeah, their first album's from 2009, Wine, Women, and Song. And in 2013, they had Cheap Souvenirs. In 2015, they had The 50. And then just this year, they had the album Banner Year. But their biggest song is some sort of country collab with Mark Leach called Drinkin' Townsend. No, Mark Leach. And this song's called Drinkin' Claws as in White Claws. (laughs) This is their biggest song. This has over two million monthly listeners. Well, 
Even though Hey Monia only has 14,000 monthly listeners. Gotcha. <laughs> Oof, all right. Well, okay. you know. So it's good to... So see, so Tim Eddings is still out there. Heck yeah. Helping young talent, just as he did with Reliant K. So that's great. I did... Is that any worse than a song about Marilyn Manson that will never be on a record put out by Goatee, period? Right. Does Hey Monia... Do they mention their own band name in their tracks? Do they mention the name of their lead singer multiple times? Like, hey, this is the lead singer of... This is the lead guitarist of Hey Monina. He's the bomb. To help, like, just push that narrative that this is a band with with identity and right, with, right, with right. characters you can follow. No, they push White Claw because they're like, we know what the people <laughs> like. So in 2001, Polestar Magazine had a cover story for Relying K. I want to find a copy of the October 2001 issue of Polestar. On their archive, they have the original article, but if Relying K was on the cover, I'd like to check that out, uh, see what the picture was. But here's the article on Polestar's website, and it quotes Tim Eddings. And the quote, I guess I won't read the whole article. Well, I'll read the first paragraph. It says, The anatomy of tongue-in-cheek is what Reliant K calls its new album. That somehow, that somehow feels like a, like a real bitchy statement. <laughs> this is what they somehow call their new album. The anatomy of foot and mouth is what the band's manager tries to avoid when he explains that much of today's Christian music isn't exactly geared toward kids. Quote, We've all gone through enough youth group events in our time where we've seen music out of touch with the generation that's been thrown out to those kids. Hold on. We've all... This is Tim Edding speaking now. (laughs) We've all gone through enough youth group events in our time where we've seen music out of touch with the generation that's being thrown out to those kids. I guess I get what he's saying. Relying K would like to be the band that rescues some of those events. So he's just saying that youth group events have music that the generation of 2001 didn't care for. And Relying K was on a mission, at least in 2001, to have Christian youth group music that those kids would be in touch with. Manager Tim Eddings told this to Polestar with a chuckle. His cheeky sense of humor is only rivaled by that of the band, which fills its pop-punk songs with pop culture references that relate to kids. Fans first came to No Reliant K through their self-titled debut, which includes the award-winning song that recounts how Marilyn Manson ate my girlfriend. Uh, Then a little recap of who Reliant K is. Thiessen says, We were like... We're all here. Why don't we play some stuff that we make up? So we started writing our own... Okay, maybe I shouldn't have skipped the last paragraph. I'm not good at reading the articles. The three original... out of touch. I'm out of time. The three original band members... But I'm out of my head when you're not around. Matt Hoops and Brian Pittman grew up together in Canton, Ohio, where the 20 and 21-year-olds started playing in youth worship band about three and a half years ago. They decided to take it a step further. Thiessen says, We were all like, well, we're here. Why don't we play some stuff that we make up? 
So we started writing our own songs, Thiessen told Polestar. From there, the guys wasted no time, as Thiessen explained. Hoops like this girl who lived down the street, and her dad plays in this band called DC Talk. End quote. With that, DC guitarist Mark Townsend agreed to record Relying K's first demo. We know this. We've heard this. Thiessen says... Where are the boys from again? They're from they're from Canton, Ohio. They're the oh, boys from Canton. Okay. Thiessen continues, It was real cruddy and it sounded like poop. <laughs> he says of the dove of all work and no play. Thiessen described the demo so eloquently, says what, Polestar. What part of that would you attribute to your British vocals? Right. I would like to know. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't say, uh, well, what would the British word for poop be? Shite. Shite. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, a demo sounded like shite. And our manager, I can't do a British accent, I can't do British t- Oh, it's me, British Tyson. There he is. There he is. Oi, our first demo sounded like shite. And <laughs> a face. A face. <laughs> and our manager, Tim Eddings. <laughs> we only went to him after Malcolm McLaren was so shite as our first manager. Took all the credit for creating us. There's some more reference. There's some more references to Tim Eddings here. Apparently, it was enough to get a development deal with Goatee, and according to Eddings, the developmental part didn't last long. Quote, when they came back with that first series of demos, after getting signed, so I guess he's ref- I guess him here is referring to demoing for the, for the self-titled album, not All Work and No Play. There are demos for the self-titled album that no one's ever heard. Why has no one ever heard these demos? When they came back... Are they being kept somewhere safe? They need to be archived properly. Right. When they came back from that first series of demos, after getting signed, I was absolutely blown away, Tim remembers. Quote, And basically, at that point, we got involved and went to the record label and said, Look, this isn't a developmental deal project. This is an A-level goatee release. There is a window of opportunity... And I think this is the right band at the right time. End quote. The label agreed. The, the article continues. The label agreed and has since made it a mission to build Reliance K's fan base. Edding continues. Goatee has just absolutely been supportive about giving us the materials we need to break the band at the grassroots level. Edding says. The article continues. Uh, I feel like I got to say that because then you don't know where the quotes are beginning and ending. Uh, Between that and the growing base of followers that Eddings describes as fanatical. Hey, he's talking about me and my friend Johnny back in the day. Relying K worked its way up to becoming the number one selling new Christian rock act of 2000. Of course, the band's willingness to play 200 shows a year and hang out before and after gigs to recruit new new fans helps. That's what they did for me and my friends. The members embarked on their career with that work ethic, Eddings explained. Quote, I can just remember one of my early band meetings with the guys. Everybody gathering together and Thiessen came to me and he said, I just want you to know that I know how tough it is and we don't expect to make it. But, we don't, but if we don't make it, 
We don't want it to be our fault. So let us know what you need us to do. This is really cool. I'm really mm-hmm. glad we found this article. Yeah, wow. First of all, we're finding tidbits. Like, they signed the developmental deal based off of All Work and No Play. And then they go to demo the self-titled. And the demos apparently were so good that Tim Eddings went to Goatee and says, listen to these demos. These guys are already past the point of developing. You know you that need new re- sound you're looking for? Well, <laughs> well listen to this. Yeah. It really paints a picture of how they came up so quickly. Because they record All Work and No Play in 1998. And then two years later, the self-titled comes out. And, yeah, people criticize the self-titled album now in hindsight of all the other amazing recording work they've been able to do. And even how Anatomy is a giant leap production-wise ahead of the self-titled. Right. But to think that they went into the studio and they put all their time and effort into it right away in the studio for this developmental deal... And they had demos that were so good that they were like, hey, look, Goatee, you've never had a rock art. I'm reading between the lines now. But they're like, look, these demos are so good and you, Goatee, have never had a rock band on your label. This is the time now. This is the band. We finish this album and you put it out now and this will be the time for you to have a big rock act on Goatee Records. And Tim was absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> because this 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 could have been one of those situations of like just another one of those Christian bands who had like two, maybe three records and they have like fans who remember them, but then you look on Spotify and they only have like ten thousand monthly listeners who randomly remember this band. But no, Reliant K kept growing. They had that work ethic. They just continued recording and touring and they never stopped. Basically until like 2016 they just kept going right yeah they, like 2017 yeah, right after the uh searching for america <laughs> looking for america looking it's for... the name of the switchfoot song which right? obviously is Wait. your favorite okay it's the looking for america tour because i get confused <laughs> because in 2017 we also went to john mayer's world tour which was the search, the search for, for everything, everything and you tour. know that they're opposite from each other yes okay. and how do i know the john mayer one because i'm wearing the tour hoodie right now <laughs> So this Polestar article has some great tidbits in it that I'm talking about. These things from their old history that I hope will never be lost. And also to learn that, like, you know, I've talked about my experiences going to see Reliant K when they would play so many shows. They came through Boston so much. And in the early, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, a lot of Christian bands didn't come through the New England area. I don't know if they just considered it a dead end, a dead end street. Like, it's like, yeah, we'll get up to New York and we'll play a show in New York, but, like, then we won't continue on to New England. It happened all the time. All my favorite tooth and nail bands would tour the East Coast and they would never get past New York City. And it used to really, it used to piss me off, honestly. And then Relying K was one of the first bands that was like, no, we're going to hit Boston in the fall. We're going to always, we're going to hit every place in the country, whether or not it's con- it's considered, like, a major Christian music market. We're going to go everywhere because we're going to be... We're going to take this as far as it can possibly go. And we're going to build a fan base across the country. And that probably accounts for it in a big way that they were willing to like hit other. I mean, I don't know what other markets might not have been considered like major Christian markets for this kind of like, you know, smaller independent Christian music as Reliant K was for the first two and three albums. But interesting. So Tim Eddings was definitely with them 
from the demo. From, sorry, from the self-titled. He was with them from the signing of the developmental deal. He was with Reliant K from sometime around 1998 or 1999. Yeah. And it sounds like, at least from that one article you just read of Hey Monet, or whatever they're called, it sounds like they said he was with them during the anatomy era. So I wonder if that means he was with them up through two right, lefts. Right, Because two lefts, they're still clearly part of the Christian market. They're still touring with the Supertones and, you know, a less popular yet Switchfoot. Like, them and Switchfoot are still, they're still the opening bands. They're not the headlining bands yet. They're both just about to break. Switchfoot's going to break a little sooner than Reliant K, but they're both on the cusp. They're still, they're they're still opening for bands like the Supertones and stuff like that. So I'm imagining, so I'm thinking that Alabaster Arts, that move must have happened around 2003. I'm just kind of putting some context together and assuming that Tim Eddings was with them from 1998 to around 2003. That's what it seems like. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If we get correcting information, I would love to hear it. But that's what I'm guessing is going on here. Oh, here. Then the article continues. And this is just, this is just like awesome. Okay, I'm excited. (laughs) For, For an article. I just mean for an article from the year 2000 or whatever I said this was. This little tidbit of like how this matters for a, a for a, a music magazine like Polestar. <laughs> the article continues: collecting email addresses at every show has been one thing that's helped the band. The band has amassed some forty thousand email addresses to date. <laughs> wow. So it's all about <laughs> grassroots marketing right, right. of an artist in the year 2000 right. is you put an email sign-up sheet yep. on the merch table and you collect 40,000 email addresses. Outstanding. Which means then you have to take those back and give them to an intern or someone who works and like start typing these in. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's, no, there's no iPads. Right. There's no QR codes to right. direct people to sign up directly. Eddings continues... It's a great thing for right now because we can go to town and even if a promoter completely drops the ball, we have between 300 and 1,000 names in every market we play. Yeah, that's a really good point because nowadays with social media, you can have targeted marketing by region and by known interests and you have people who are already subscribed to your social media, already following you, and you know you can reach those markets on some level. And MXPX, Mike Carrera talks about on his podcast all the time, is like it doesn't matter how much they announce on Twitter and Instagram and everything. Hey, we're coming to Chicago. Hey, we're coming to Milwaukee. They'll do it again and again and again. And sure, the show might sell out or close to sell out, but they're still going to hear for the next year when you come into Chicago. And then he's going to be like, we were just there. <laughs> people still aren't going to hear about it, but all that matters is you could reach the amount of people you have the reach to get those ears and be aware that you're coming to town. So much harder back then. So much harder back then. Yeah. Edding says by Christmas time this year, I don't think we have any place in the Christian market left to play. I think we're going to look to play colleges for opening slots or opening slots for a general market band in the spring. Hmm. So that's cool that by 2000, they were already considering trying yeah. to get on a like a, a non-Christian tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, the article continues now. Though the general market isn't something Relying Case strives to conquer. <laughs> that feels like, hey, don't worry, guys. Right. They're, st- they're still Christian. Yeah. The band is not going to turn down any greater exposure. 
uh, Thiessen says, a lot of times I've come across people that I know just really kind of use the Christian music industry as a stepping stone to get to the ultimate goal of being a big record label, of being with a big record label, and all that stuff is not really our vision, I guess. Not really our intention, Thiessen continues. But of course, who would not want to be in a situation where you can play for more people? Uh, then the article continues. Well, that's... Uh, hold on, I'll pause. So that's also interesting. Mm-hmm. Because, really, I do remember Relying K for those first three albums. They played a lot of Christian markets. Uh, they, I'm sure they... I don't remember. They... One show I saw with Relying K in this time, somehow they got booked on a battle... That is the headliner at a battle of the bands for a local Massachusetts college. Interesting. I don't think it was a Christian college... But it might have been like a. It might have been a. It might have been like a Catholic college. It's the Boston area. It might have been like one of those vaguely religious background colleges, but really just more of a liberal arts college with like a Christian heritage. Um, I've had a really hard time trying to find that show. I know that the another a, the local Christian metalcore band called Mercury Switch was the second headliner. And, uh, but that again, that doesn't mean it was necessarily a Christian market show because then it was a bunch of battle of the bands, bands that opened it and they weren't necessarily Christian. One of them covered Longview, and he had, and he mumbled the words <laughs> masturbation. He's like, when <laughs> lost it's fun because it was like in a field in the middle of a Massachusetts town. It wasn't like deep in the campus or it wasn't even indoors. So it was probably more like an obscenity law thing than it being possibly a vaguely Christian school. Sure, sure. Massachusetts has some some, uh, old-timey laws. (laughs) They do. (laughs) Uh, But it's really interesting to see that by this point in 2000, they're like, yeah, we want bigger exposure. We're never going to like turn that down necessarily but that's not our goal and i believe fully that that's that that was not their goal because when they got signed to capital they didn't get signed to capital right capital just went to goatee and was like hey we're all part of the same parent company give us that reliant gay band <laughs> right <laughs> you just it was like it was like what there's sports analogies to this that I can't quite, uh, I don't really know enough about. But when like somebody gets <laughs> traded against their will to another team, right. that sort of thing happens. That's, and Reliant K had some... Po- Hello, April. Reliant K had some... I'm sure Reliant K had some sort of say in it. But anyway. Um, and then it, the, uh, the band is currently co-headlining the Electric Youth Tour with Five Iron Frenzy, which is incorporating the world's largest sock puppet choir into the outing. Which, by the way, did not happen at the two venues that I saw the Electric Aww. Youth Tour at. I remember the sock puppets are part of the... Uh... Oh, was this article before 9-11? <laughs> Sorry, I just dropped that. No, no, it's after 9 So this was this was October. Uh... Oh, so the, the Electric Youth Tour was already going by this point. This, was, this article was October 2001. The Electric Youth Tour was already in full swing. I've talked about it. I went to the Electric Youth Tour... Which was Five Iron Frenzy, Ace Troubleshooter, Reliant K, and John Rubin, and it was less than a week after 9/11. So maybe they dropped the sock puppet thing they were planning by that point. Maybe they picked it back up the further into the tour they got, and the more appropriate it felt after that being that close to 9/11. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of interesting information directly from the mouth. Of Tim Eddings. And we were yeah. hoping that this would be a short episode, but no, it's going about Should've our regular lines. Should have known better. 
So I did find this one video, which I'll play just a second of, just in the room. We don't have to edit this in later. It's only got 35 views, and this is from the YouTube channel Columbus Music Commission. And this is a YouTube video, as I said, from five months ago. Everyone's still wearing masks. And this is called Music Monday, Get Booked, Get Signed. Discussion on October 25th, 2021. So even though this was just uploaded in May of this year, it goes back to last October. Moderated by Randy Malloy of CD uh, 92.9 FM. This is with Britton Dove of Promo West, Ian Baldwin of Bravo Artist, Tim Eddings of Celebrity Etc., and Joe Urban of Take This Heart Record of Take This Heart Records. And this is a almost two hour long YouTube video of a panel discussion. I don't know if it's at a school or some sort of like community hall, but there's like a brick wall behind them and a sign that says Ohio uh, or uh, what's it called? Columbus Music Commission. And this is these four music professionals, music industry professionals, talking about how artists can look to get more exposure, can look to play out in concerts more and stuff like that. So here's just, I guess I will drop this audio in. Here's just a couple of seconds of Tim just warming up at this panel discussion. There might be some information in here. I checked the transcript on the YouTube video and Relying K never comes up. (laughs) I don't think that's a bad thing. It just never came up specifically. And uh, they're just talking more about what you can do nowadays and what their process is nowadays for booking bands and finding talent. So here's Tim talking just last year about how you can play a show in the Ohio area and how you can get his attention. Tim, why don't you start? How do bands actually get booked? Um, well, you... I don't know. <laughs> well, do they have to... No, well, uh, do they ask you? Do they send an email? Do they knock on the door? Do they send you a CD? The thing that works with us is email. Um, if you send us a text or a Facebook message or those things work as well, but we will tell you to then email because we are massively, massively understaffed and overworked. And if we don't have folders to kind of sort what happened, then it's as if like, it's like literally the equivalent of like writing your name down on a piece of paper and then crumpling it up and asking a drunk person to stick it in their pocket. Like, maybe they'll find it later and call you, but probably not. So, but when you reach out, the things to to keep in mind are that we want to create win-win scenarios. For us, we don't have any built-in audience. Like, like Rumba, for example, is the baseline. We It looks like a neighborhood bar, and it feels like a neighborhood bar, but we only open for ticketed shows. And a $5 local show is a ticketed show. That's, you know, you pay five bucks to support your friend's bands and you do that. But if... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I let that play a little bit longer. Um, I just wanted to hear what he said. But, I mean, that's... I mean, I guess if we wanted to have gotten Tim Eddings 
on this episode, we would have had to email him, it sounds like. Yep. Because the truth is, I did send him a DM on Instagram about three hours ago. And I was <laughs> like, I don't think this is going to reach you in time. You are the worst, because you, you always do things, like, at the last minute. It's like, Dan, you have to think ahead on these things. Or I'll think ahead on these things and be like, hey, Dan, can you reach out to so-and-so? And you'll be like, yeah, 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 I'll do that. And then I check in again. And I'm like, Dan, did you do that thing? We're still talking... You know, like a week in advance. And I'm like, Dan, did you think? He's like, no, no, I'll, I'll get to it, though. Don't worry about it. I'm going to do it right now. I'm setting a reminder on my phone. I'm going to do it. Okay. Okay. I'll check in later that day. Did you? No, no. You know First what? thing tomorrow. First thing tomorrow. Okay. And the next thing I know, it's like right before the show. And I'm like, did you ever contact so-and-so? And he's like, oh, I'll do it right now. You know what? I'm just like Tim Eddings. I am overworked and understaffed. <laughs> it's true. So um, I'm just looking if there's anything else. I found a 2009 interview with Tim Eddings with the Canton Rep uh, talking about some other project he was doing then. And another interview with Polestar in 2002 when he was still with Reliant K at that point. Um, But I feel like we're getting there. This is a short song. We can, we can make this a short episode. A cool, breezy 80 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> There's no covers, but I am going to just do a little mashup live right now. Oh, okay. At the end of the day. The end of the day. <laughs> oh, sorry, I blew out your eardrums. I prepared myself the first time, but not the second time when you had to, you know, <laughs> so many false minute. starts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, here it is. Here's my live mashup. Okay. Chili's baby back ribs. Chili's baby back ribs. Barbecue sauce. I want my baby back ribs. <laughs> Chili. <laughs> it's good stuff. I don't know why I was expecting you to go with David S. Pumpkins or something, but yeah, I like it. It's good, good stuff. Are you saying I very should... good cover mashup? Or you, you're saying I should put the ballad of Tim Ebbings in <laughs> Eddings in Rave DJ with the I'm David saying S. Pumpkins that that's music. That's what I thought was coming. I thought I was going to get a Rave DJ, but it, I really did get a live in the room uh, serenading. So that was exciting. Well, I'm sure that the Rave DJ won't uh, complete in time, but if it comes out to anything, I'll put my Rave DJ of the David S. Pumpkins music combined with the Ballad of Tim Eddings at the end of this episode. So until then, Jessica, what do you think of the song, The Ballad of Tim Eddings, which we did not talk about the music very much, but I just don't have much to say. It's It's a silly little folksy, round sort of song. I know it doesn't exactly sound like it. It sounds like a sea shanty to me. They're not going like a <laughs> but there's, it still has that feeling of like like in a pub or like in a seaside sure, shanty. Sure. It's a shanty, a sea shanty like right. a seaside thing. I think you just have to be in the right mood for it, you know? I think it's good, but yeah, I think you gotta be in the right mood for it. It's cute, it's funny, it's silly. You yeah. know. Yeah. It also brings to mind uh, Good King Wenceslas. Like it's that kind of silly... Right, sort right. of thing. That's sort of like yeah. That sort of, and I guess part of what I'm thinking of the Beach Boys influence is more of a general '60s folk music influence. How I see. you know there was there was like 
popular folk music like row 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 row, your your boat boat. exactly yeah (laughs) well there was we talked about this with sloop john b but yeah there was like the popularization of folk music but then a band like the kingston trio and some stuff that the beach boys or other 60s artists might have do was to bring like actual old music influences into like real folk music like sometimes we think of folk music as this kind of you know homogenized sort of very mainstream concept of singing in a coffee house singing like nice you know love songs and stuff but there's folk music is actually folk music it's actually music for the different populations of earth the different nationalities and so this has that feeling of like a 60s artist bringing a genuine feeling folk music but putting a little silly spin on it to sing about your manager and how sorry tim we're too busy writing we can't go to idaho wow well that is <laughs> that is uh very well said feel my, yes feel my head <laughs> Do I feel warm? <laughs> it's just been one of those nights. Well, we're just oh, gonna, we didn't even mention it's my Danny birthday. Oh, right. That's it. It's because I turned forty and I feel like I want to die. <laughs> That's what's going on. I totally forgot. You know, I'm just like questioning uh, my purpose in life and oh, no. who I am and who I've been. And I'm forty, and this is what I'm doing. I'm well, with that giving, said, I'm making the worst episode uh, of my reality. Before I <laughs> escort Grandpa off to his deathbed, now, do you like this song more or less or the same as before? I guess I technically like it more because I paid more attention to it than ever before, and same. I don't hate it. So. And I, I like the little story about it. I like that it's about a former manager. I think that's nice. Yeah. And we will catch you next time when I'm... If if you're still listening. (laughs) Thank you.